0: Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts.
1: Obviously, hard work is not enough. You have to train every single day super hard, every, you know, no matter what. But it was, it was this moment of believing, Believing in myself and believing that if you want something bad enough, you're capable of achieving it.
2: I believe that without doing hard things, we will go backwards in life.
3: My routines are very simple. I find out what the job is and I bust my ass to get it done. And I think people want to get there and be like, oh, I did
4: a couple things like, no, no, no. Like it ain't about a couple things. It's about this deeply seated rooted sense of you where you do not have the right to take this future from me. I
5: just knew that I love cycling and it was going to take suffering. I have learned that much. And so I was going to have to get good at suffering.
6: All my practice, all my talent, all my physicality is not going to be enough. So it's like you, you
7: can't allow yourself to I think the first thing is recognizing that you are not what you do.
8: So I think there's always that thing that we know can come through, and we either choose to drown it out or we can do the things that we know kind of make it louder.
1: I had this huge dream of you know winning that all-around gold medal at the Olympics. And not many people believed in me. But when I was able to kind of set that dream and that goal, and I knew it was like this huge goal that, you know, for so many years for an American gymnast, it was unattainable and unachievable. So Mary Lou Retton won in 1984. And then... One of my closest friends and teammates, Carly Patterson, won in 2004. So it had been 20 years before an American gymnast wow. won. And so being able to train in the same gym as Carly, the gym that my parents um, started, was was really something that inspired me every single day because she kind of made me believe that this is possible. You know, it is possible for an American gymnast to do that. Um, and so I think just being able to see that every single day inspired me. That being said, I just feel like so many times... There's people around you, whether they're in your life or now social media, you know, people are always going to tell you no and people are always going to like roll your eyes when you tell them your dream or your goal. And I think what I realized throughout my career and Continue to realize is that those dreams and those goals are within reach and they're you know Just at the tip of our fingertips and if we really want to do it It's it's far beyond obviously than just like work hard and believe in yourself You know you have to do a few more things in between all of that But um, I just think with young girls today that it's important for them to have a voice and to believe in that voice Obviously, hard work is not enough. You have to train every single day super hard, every, you know, no matter what. But it was, it was this moment of um, believing. Believing in myself and believing that if you want something bad enough, and it's not just about an Olympic gold medal, but anything in life, you're capable of achieving it. Because I feel like we're so influenced by so many people's thoughts and perceptions about you, Um, especially just in the world that we live in with social media and the access being right there, everything's so immediate. And I think at the end of the day, I think if you can go to sleep at night knowing that you're proud of yourself, not necessarily for your accomplishments or how many gold medals you've won, but about the kind of person that you are, then I think that's all that matters. I don't know. I feel like that's always been um, my mission, to empower young women to do what they want to do and not necessarily to do what society is telling them to do or, you know what your parents did or you know any of these things but to do what you want to do and and that's in your hands it's in your control and and I think that it's so important to to kind of share that you know and obviously with young girls and young women but even young boys you know it's 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 really everybody out there that has a dream and that has a goal and I think that is so important to be able to say like this is my dream and not be ashamed by it because whatever your dream is, like that's your dream. Don't let somebody else take that away from you by telling you that you're not good enough or you're, not gonna be, you're never gonna be able to do this, don't even waste your time on that. I've gotten told all of the above. And so it's like, don't let someone take that away from you. If you have this burning desire inside of you and, and you'll know what that feels like if you have it, then you just need to go full force and kind of block out all the negativity and everything else that is around you telling you that you can't do it. I think the important thing is to not, you know, if, if you're just starting out in gymnastics or, you're, or any really any sport, you know, don't necessarily set your sights on the olympics right now focus on what you're doing and kind of your path right now yes the olympics might be in your future but that's the future so it's important to have those long-term goals but at the same time like how are you going to get there well you need to do x y and z to kind of even get to possibly you know competing at olympic trials and so i think it's important to Yes, have these big aspirations and these big goals and and ambitions, but also figure out what it is your goal is right now. What is your goal today? What is your goal this week, this month, and this year? And then have that long-term goal again. And that was something that my dad really taught me was he was really into Um, you know, the goal setting, but also planning um, the year out. And so he said, okay, if we want to be here in November, then how do we get there? So he would actually start at the end and backtrack um, in terms of, you know, simple as now we're going to do start our skills, then parts, then routines, then get in competition shape and, and all these things. So then I knew I could look at my full year long schedule and say, okay, today, this is what I have. Next week, I'm gonna be starting a routine, so I should really focus this week on getting my endurance up or something. And so, you know, regardless of whether it's a sport or just life, I feel like it's it's really important to have this step-by-step process of how am I going to get to that end goal.
3: If you really want something bad enough, it's not gonna be easy. And you can see where you wanna go. But there are so many things you're gonna have to go through to get there. But truly, if you focus and know where you wanna end up, you'll be there. It may not be at the exact time you want, which now is kind of immediate for most people, but you'll eventually get there at your time when you're supposed to. You know, you make choices in your life. You program your mind to either be happy or not. That's a choice that you make. It's not something that somebody else makes for you. It's not uh, not even your situation. No matter what the situation, you truly do make the choice to be happy in that situation or not. And we also have the ability to change a situation that we're not happy with.
0: Talk a little bit about that, because if, if for anybody that doesn't know the sort of legendary beef that you had with the final coach at the Giants, it's oh. such a powerful and, and what I'm talking about specifically is is that you've switched, right? So you come in hot, you guys oh, are we angry, hated each other. heads, yeah. but then in the end, you said that if you were gonna go back, he's the only one that you'd go back and play for. Yeah, right. I
3: absolutely hated Tom Coughlin. The toughest thing, and the thing I loved about playing, and the one thing I love about work, and working with a lot of people, is the leadership aspect. It is the opportunity to get so many people to believe in one thing, that makes everybody better so that everybody wins. And in order to do that, you you have to make everybody have value and feel valuable. I don't care if it's somebody who's sweeping the floor or or the president of the company. Everybody needs to be treated like a human being with value. And if they are, they will do anything for you. And once he got that down, guys would do anything for him. And I was one of those guys that once I was into that matrix, anything he needed, it would get done and all the way down to just my belief in us winning a Super Bowl and watching all that happen and and just the way that we did it, and now if I had to go back and play, seriously, I I wouldn't play for any other coach. If he wanted me to play for him, I would play for him only.
0: From a leadership perspective, it's such a beautiful thing, to open yourself up to that. I love your ritual of going around before the game and touching everybody. Yeah, that was important. And I actually really want to start doing that with the team here. Like, we've got such a group of diehard people. And it had, like, in doing, so the whole point to me of the people that I bring on the show is to bring people, the more I research them, the more I get to know who they are, Mm -hmm. that I'll find these little nuances that I can bring into my own life. And when I pictured you going around to everybody and, and saying, I'm accountable to you, Mm-hmm. Right. I'm accountable to you. And when I go out on that field, I'm going to hold us up. I'm going to do what we've all agreed that we're here to accomplish. And I thought, oh, my God, like that's so powerful. And to have built that trust and rapport with them ahead of time where they feel connected to you. And then you say, hey, I'm here to serve you. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we're all going to do this together. That's super.
3: It's super bigger. Than, it's bigger. Than, it was it was always bigger than me. And I had success on a football field. Singular success, right. you know, I've been defensive player of the year a few times and it's like I Can't celebrate this or team at record. records it's like there's no I never found much joy in something that was a singular success right. The best time does anyone ever ask me what is the best thing from your career? It's like it's a Super Bowl it's Everybody being able to celebrate the accomplishment of us as a team and not me as an individual and, and There is definitely a switch you have to have and to me, I, I do love people. And, and it's natural for me to be nice to people. I don't know any other way. I don't know why you wouldn't be. But it's also, it's work for me because in, in anything I do, I don't have to be fake. I don't have to be something I'm not. Right. So I don't have to be nice to you here and then leave and you see me later on because I've been around a lot of people like that and it's as if they're a different person. Like, right. I just saw you 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Who this guy? Right. And I never wanted to be that. I always wanted to be myself the entire time, which works great for me. I love psychology of things. Mm. That's why I think I love a team. I love getting people on the same page. And the psychology of, from football to me, in the media, with football, the simple things. You get the game program every week. And it's the same picture throughout the whole year of the guys. But I had a ritual. I would look at the program. I would look at everybody on my team, same guys, and then I would look at the other team's guys. Mm. And when you're a young player, you get intimidated by faces. And some guys sitting there looking like them. and you're like, "Oh man, that guy's a killer." Oh, I don't, I'm a little scared. But as I got older, I said, oh, psychologically, if somebody looks like that, then they're, you know, then okay how much more afraid would you be if somebody you know is a killer and they just smile? <laughs> so in my program picture, I'd be like this. <laughs> it looked like a glamorous shot. Like, it looked like I went to the mall. It was like, this is the guy? He must be crazy to be smiling in these photos like this. And, and so like, I would just do little silly things like that. With the media, I didn't talk every day. Mm. To then I, I said, I talk one day a week. I talk Thursdays. And I did it because if you talk all the time, it's like going to the same restaurant. It's not special. Mm. And especially in the media of New York when there are so many different people and so many um, outlets and everybody just with so much content, you need yours to stand out. So if you want to talk to me and you only get me one day a week, I guarantee when I talk to you, you're gonna cherish that and you're gonna use that. Mm. Yeah, there's some pretty
0: uh, incredible footage of you getting well, let's talk psychological warfare and then getting everybody on the same page. So one, the trash talking that you did when you would tackle people was absolutely I, I fantastic. Welcome home, baby. I love Yeah, <laughs> There were some great ones, but then what you did in the Super Bowl was really, really crazy, and I wanna hear what was the, the psychological principle at work. So you, the team is losing. But you gather everybody on the sideline, and you say, you're losing at the moment, I think it was 10 to 14, yep. to the undefeated champions coming mm-hmm. into this game, and you say, with like very little time left, guys, we're one drive away, we're gonna win 17 to 14, that's gonna be the final score, if you believe it, it's gonna happen. Yeah,
3: Gene Strayhead, my dad. That's crazy. Well, it, was, it was weird. Because by the way, that was the end score. That was the end score. uh, Against an undefeated team, uh, 18-0 at that point, and had beaten us early in the season. And I I just, my dad, that, that week in Phoenix, he said, you know what, you guys have already won the game. And I was like, I think an old man's losing it. What's he talking about? You guys have already won the game. Now you just have to go through the formalities. But trust me, you've already won the game. And I'm thinking, have you seen the Patriots? (laughs) Have you seen their record? Have you seen how good they are? It's Tom Brady and Randy Moss. Junior Seau, like all these phenomenal um, Hall of Fame players over there. And we got to the point in that game where there are just several things that come to mind. Bill Belichick is a brilliant coach. Probably the best coach ever to, to coach professional football. And we had a fourth down. They had to punt, he rushed the punt team out there, they run a punt, we didn't get all our guys off the field in time. So it gives them a first down in our territory. And field goal position and everything else. And Tom Coughlin's losing it. You know, he's beat red, he's screaming on the sideline. And I I just had such a peace during that game. So he tells this story um, all the time, and he said, you reached over and you grabbed me by my shoulders before you ran out on the field, and you smiled and said, coach, Don't worry, we got it. And we go out, I actually got a sack. That's the sack I got on that drive. Moved them out of field goal position. They didn't score any points. And that was just like the peacefulness of the game. So when we came to that point in the fourth quarter where they scored, uh, and when they went up 14-10, it was like, you know what? If Dad said we're going to win, damn it, we're going (laughs) to win. Now, I'm not on offense. I can't do anything about it. But I'm going to go over here and talk to the guys who can Mm. And we're in this together. Our, our journey to get there has been too great to end like this. I mean, we're here for a reason. There's something special about us being here because we were not supposed to be here. And I went on and said 17-14, fellas, will be the final score. Believe it and it will happen. One touchdown will work, we'll be world champion. Believe it and it will happen. And we won 17-14 to 14, and I retired after that.
2: I believe that without doing hard things, we will go backwards in life. We'll go backwards in the way we feel. We'll go backwards in the way our mind develops. And let's just take the pandemic, for example. When that happened, you could take a look around to your peers or colleagues or associates and say, they've experienced hard things based on what I'm observing how they're handling this right now. And then the flip side of that is I could look over here and say, okay, these people have never experienced something difficult in their lives and really, really struggling with this. And we all struggle with different things at different times, but it was it was pretty obvious to me um, who had experienced things before and who could handle something like that. And so for me, doing hard things with intent is preparation for the unknown because life's, life's not easy. Life is not easy and we all struggle with our own ways and I truly believe that we all have to go through this life and we all have to learn the same lessons in order to navigate. It. It's like a it's like a board game and you got to you hit all the check marks and you got to hit all the squares and you're going to keep falling down the 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 slide in snakes and ladders if you fail that test. And when you pass the test you get to go up the ladder. I think the negative voice and learning how to deal with that is literally the most important piece because I've been, I've been through it. I've been doing this for 15 years and each time we push that envelope a little further and further and you would think at this point in the time, like I've completely silenced the bully. Dude, he's loud. He's still the loud. The internal bully. The internal bully. Yeah, he's still loud. I mean the outside the outside bully is another <laughs> totally different topic and conversation. But that internal bully, that internal dialogue, it's always gonna be there. And I, I, I believe I said this the first time we met, like as humans, we are most tough on ourselves. Like we are our toughest critic. And for some reason, we don't see ourselves the way that others maybe see us. And it's, it's typically in a more negative light. Mm. And so I think, I think mastering that continual conversation and, and beatdown that we have with ourselves is one of the most important pieces to that puzzle. And why, if you go from zero to 100, that voice is so loud, it's so dominant, you don't have a chance. And you have to be able to learn how to talk to it uh, early early, and during simple things so that you can overcome it and build that momentum, like I mentioned before, you, you, can't, you can't take on the biggest thing. Like you don't go from off the couch to climbing Everest. Like there's a, there's a process and base camps you gotta go through. And, and that biggest component is that, that self-talk, that conversation that you have. Because people always ask, you know, what is it? Is this a mental feat or is this a physical feat? And I say it is a 100% both. You're gonna get to a point on your journey where you're broke Physically mentally, not not financially, but financially too you're beaten you, you can't imagine dragging yourself out of your dark corner. you can't imagine pulling yourself off the ground. you have no support system you you you're you're a corpse walking around you're depressed, you have anxiety, everything freaks you out in order to overcome that, you have to show up on your journey and I don't know. Your journey, uh, I don't know how many times you're gonna to have to show up one more time. Sometimes it's gonna to have to be on your own. And so we didn't tell anybody that 101 was gonna happen. We didn't even know it was gonna happen until literally three days before the 100. And the 100 was finished on a Tuesday. I made the final decision on a Sunday night to do it. And we were just gonna go live on that Wednesday morning. And I got in the pool and nobody was there because they thought we were sleeping celebrating and i woke up and i got in the pool and i was by myself and i did the 2.4 mile swim and i was fully anticipating doing 112 miles by myself and the chat boards went crazy and the 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 supporters locally said no way is he doing that bike ride by himself and they showed up and we had an amazing 112 miles and we did it on our terms and I, I just felt like as a person who gets on, up on stage and tells people, you can show up on your journey no matter what, I, ha- I was broken. I was beat, I was defeated. And on the flip side of that, I'd achieved the goal. Mm-hmm. I'd done what I said I was gonna do. But I just felt at the highest level, I needed to lead from the front. I needed to go do one more. Well, that's by myself or with my team, the importance of that. I think day one hundred one was more important than the previous fourteen thousand miles.
5: Yeah, I was basically just getting beaten to crap every day. I mean, why I keep doing strategy, it? Strategy. Well, I, exactly. I mean, there's there's that side, there's that suffering side that just you know kept showing up. That like, oh, I, you know, I could, I could. Suffer more than the next person So, And that was a going. pleasurable but,
0: part of your self narrative Where you're like I value in myself My ability to suffer more than the next person
5: um, I just Knew that I love cycling and it was Going to take suffering I had learned that much and so I was going to have to get good at Suffering it, it Out of curiosity you
0: know, it was, why do you love something That forces you to endure So much suffering
5: Well there's obviously many many more aspects Of it than the suffering part you know, that's just an aspect of it. I was madly in love with learning something completely new. I, I you know, I had I I'd never been good at any of it. It was kind of cool finding out that there might be just this like little bit of a hidden talent in something that I had absolutely no idea existed. Uh, like I said, I loved just, I loved the freedom of, of just riding the bike. I mean, that just felt so good. And then I started doing group rides, um, which is just, you know, a bunch of dudes. Cause again, it was mostly dudes. Uh, you know, just kind of getting together on a weekend morning and it's basically a race. And I started doing those and I was getting, you know, dropped from the first, let's say, 10 miles. And then the next week I would go and I'd get dropped at mile 11. And these are like 80 mile rides. So bad one time that we were in Simi Valley, I didn't know where I was. And I had to take a cab back to where my car was because I was so lost and dropped and there was no cell phones and, you know, so, um, but I think that it, it, that just, it, it's like the curiosity of that kept me in there. Like, could I next time maybe stay in 15 miles? And by that point, I had gotten a coach who was very encouraging. You know, there's definitely people along the route that kept me believing. If it was just up to me, I don't know if I would have believed all the way to the Olympics, you know, necessarily. But it was like there was just enough every time. But it was never like I never sat back. I'm going to write the like 10 year, 15 year strategy plan to make it to the Olympic games. Like there was definitely, definitely none of that. It was just, I always feel like it was just, okay, here's the road and choose, choose the, the, the harder, the harder turn. This is a little bit easier if you keep going this way, choose kind of the, 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 the challenging one, the little bit harder one. And Tell me more about that. Why, that, why do that? Cause I think it made me better. You know going on these group rides were like I had no business on them at all in the beginning and so every time I would do it it would it was it was it was hard every time and I, I knew if I pushed myself just a little bit more or I went just a little bit harder I would get just a little bit better so it's it taught me that if I if I take the hard road uh, uh, instead of the easy road forward then I'm gonna I'm gonna learn more I'm gonna be better trained I'm gonna be better set up for maybe eventual success. But at that point, I was just thinking about success, meaning like finishing the group ride, not success, like going to the Olympics, just like that is what is going to be able to, you know, get me there, I guess, faster.
0: And do you enjoy competition? Is that a part of your identity or your makeup?
5: I'm very competitive with myself. I've never been extremely competitive with others. And that was, uh, that was kind of a problem. Like it was a little bit, I mean, I don't know. It's a, maybe a blessing and a curse, you know, cause I had some teammates that were highly competitive with other people. And the, the problem with that is, is you don't have any control over the other people. I think at the, you know, I think at the base of it, one of the, one of the biggest issues with our society and, and the lack of productivity with some is an extreme fear of being uncomfortable no one wants to be uncomfortable. Every 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 single company out there that's marketing anything to us, right, <laughs> from pharmaceuticals to food to whatever it is, it's about us being comfortable, right, and just feeling pretty good or sort of good or kind of good. It's never about being uncomfortable. And so I knew that being uncomfortable was going to be the, it's always the key to change, not just in, in cycling. I mean, it, every single time it's, it is the key that unlocks change is being uncomfortable. Um, so I knew that if I could push just a little bit more, I would get a little bit better. And some days I was able to go into, you know, a dark ish cave. And some days I was able to go into pitch blackness. It depended on the day, but I knew that there was no way to getting better unless I got pretty damn uncomfortable almost every single time. So I just knew that to be the case. And like I said before, I think the ability to push really hard past the initial, uh, you're in pain, you're in pain, what are you doing? Stop right now, you know, like your body says for survival mode, was just the reality that I knew that it was going to get make me better and it was going to be over soon that was really part of it because it was not ever over for a very long time in my eating disorder. It was like, what is this going to be? You know, I mean, 30 seconds, we're doing minute intervals, you know, we're doing 10 minute intervals or we're doing five, you know, five minute intervals. Like that's nothing there. That's not really a real amount of time. And so that was just, I think just that history that I'd had that I knew this is, this is going to be over. And then what might I get from it? I was just way too curious of a person to see what might materialize if I was, if I was able to go. There. So, you know, curiosity, some of it, I think.
0: You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein And my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. And what did materialize for you? What What has awaited you on the other side of that grand pursuit?
5: Well, almost every single time is, is uh, improvement. You know, it was just, I was better. It would be, it would be five more Watts that I could hold at threshold or, you know, a little incremental, right. But it was, you know, 50 more pounds, uh, times, you know, five sets times 60 reps on the legs on the inverted leg sled. I, I started out at about 300 pounds and before Olympics, it was 600 pounds. I was pushing times 60 reps times five sets, you know, but that wasn't like I didn't go from 300 to 600 pounds overnight. You know, it was just, it was just little bits every time. And, and then it's so motivating, right? When you get those little incremental bits of, of movement forward, uh, that starts to show you, you, you know, there's, there's a real route to what now has become a dream, um, that it's addictive (laughs) and I have a little addictive side of me. So, uh, that probably was part of it too.
9: 1979, Tom, and it's a year before the Moscow Olympics, and ABC Wild World of Sports had a program called Road to Moscow, and in, in it they featured athletes from all over the world, different disciplines, telling their stories and so on. Now, when we think of Olympic athletes, we tend to think of these superhuman beings. But what I was seeing in that program were these average, ordinary people with extraordinary dreams. I'm like, crap, you know, basically then, you know, this show is telling me that anyone can become an Olympian but within reason if they have these extraordinary dreams and an equally extraordinary desire to go after those dreams. And so by extension, you could literally go accomplish anything in your life if you have these extraordinary dreams and an equally extraordinary desire to to achieve them. So that really, as I just said, you know, built on the, the seed that my grandmother planted. Um, So it's like, you, you can't allow yourself to settle. And I think it's so easy to do that, right? Because, you know, stepping out of the environment that you find yourself in to go get that thing across the street that looks so much better and, you know, it's a much better life, is difficult because you feel so out of place. You feel, you know almost not so worthy and you have to do you know i call it a real job on your mind you have to convince yourself that you deserve this. uh you know and so of course you know keep on pushing has a bobsled analogy and i tell you my first bobsled run i crawled in a sled behind a guy who had never driven one before and People don't believe this because I joke around a lot. I'm scared of speed and height, right? That's bomb flooding. And I just remember being terrified. And I remember saying to myself, if I die, I die. But I'm going. There's just no way I'm not going down this track. And you know what? Three runs in, I was scared to death, but hooked. And and so that's kind of the, the mentality that I approach, the things that I really want is like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I just know I'm going to do it, and there's just there's just no way that it's not going to happen. And so I just I throw myself into it. It's like do or die.
0: Now, you come across as super sweet, and I know when people ask you which of the um, bobsledders was based on you in the movie, you always say the guy who was a dreamer, uh, but he also happened to be the guy that was super aggressive and and identified as the sort of mean one. Is there that gear for you? Like, Do you have a level of intensity and ferocity that you can switch into, or are you always as sweet as you come across in interviews?
9: Well, definitely, when I when I compete, I am a completely different person. I, I don't even recognize that guy. Um, In what way? Can you be specific? I, just just I'm 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 way more intense than you, brother. Just way more. Um, you know, he was an intense guy. I um, You can multiply that by ten. When I when I'm on the line, you know. I, I, so I speak about Bob Selling all the time. Like when people watch American football. They see the aggression because they see a guy going up and they're hitting another guy. Bobsledders are just as aggressive. It, it's not as apparent because you're pushing a sled. But there's so much contempt that you have for the sled at the start. You want to put the, push the crap out of it, right? Um, I get, you know, you don't see that level of intensity on my face when I'm working on, a, on another another goal, but there, I, 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 do get singularly focused, um,
0: maybe to a fault. Do you, you know? I was uh, just going to ask you: Do you like that about yourself, or do you actually think it's a problem?
9: I like that about myself. You know, but you, you know, all of us we spend time, or or we should anyway, kind of looking back on your life, and so, so this is why I would encapsulate. You know, those early years trying to get out of Olympic Gardens. It's kind of like me being on one end of a rose garden trying to get to the other end. And all I'm focused on is how I'm going to get to the other end and get into the other end. And I never pause really to smell the roses. And so if there's one thing I would change really is that ability to kind of take a few seconds to you know, sniff a rose and then move forward. So, yeah, so to a fault in that sense. I, you know, I remember just having these conversations with my friends from high school, and they're talking about all the shit that they were doing. I'm like, really? When? Really? When? And they're like, well, hold on. where were you? I'm like, I was training, I was busy, you know, so I, I do get that singularly focused.
7: I think the first thing is recognizing that you are not what you do. Right, And for me, this, uh, this monumental thing I was able to accomplish as far as getting drafted was a dream come true, just not for me, but uh, for all these young guys that get drafted, NFL, MLB, NBA, you win a lottery, your family feels like they've made it. So you, you right. carry this weight of I'm the way out for everybody. Um, so it, it took me a very long time to find out who the hell Jay Williams was without the sport of basketball. But I think one of the things that I did that was extremely beneficial is that <laughs> I love business, right? And uh, my dad worked for Amex for 20 plus years, and that was one of our goals. You know, the more money I made in basketball, I just wanted to use that platform to leverage to build a business. I had no idea what business that was yet. Uh, we were still ideating in the process of me playing. But when when the, my accident happened, you know, after I went through multiple surgeries. One of the things that inspires me is when you see businesses that have really good boards and all the CEOs I've ever met, you know, if you talk to them a day or two before they're going into their board meeting, they're nervous, right? (laughs) They're they're anxious, their palms are sweaty because they have to present to the board members about where the company was, where the company is, and where the company is going and the steps that he took in order to help the company either to their demise or to their benefit. So it was the first time I started thinking about myself. Wow, why don't individuals hold themselves to the same level companies do? And I started thinking, who who who's on Jay Williams' board? Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, I talk about this in my book because uh, I was 23 years old, uh, couldn't play basketball anymore. I had a 17, 18 year old drug dealer who was on my board, right? It was a guy that just ended up talking to and I still was taking OxyContin because I was addicted to it Mm -hmm. from my accident. Um, I had friends who were doing careless things who were on my board. Um, I didn't have the foundation of the people that needed to help me be where I wanted to be.
0: Talk to me, like, when did you, A, when did you develop it? Do you remember like cultivating that sense of, okay, I'm not getting the feedback, so I have to believe in me. Um, was it something that you were just naturally had? like how did that notion of you have to be crazy to be great find its way into your mind? Uh, first i 've seen it on a multitude of levels. Um, you know
7: it was really funny my rookie year you get so damn excited because you're playing against these guys that you've been dreaming of fucking playing against your entire life right And you actually crossed over jordan right uh well yeah i i I did even though he he dropped multiple buckets on me um, (laughs) and then told me how he was going to do it which was impressive because he was 40 years old it still pisses me off to this day i don't know if you can tell um but i remember we were playing against the lakers tom and we were out here in la and um you know, look, I always try to outwork people, right? That's just how I made my mark. So the game was at 7. I was like, you know what? I'm going to come to the Staples Center because we're playing. This one. the Lakers had Kobe and Shaq, right. okay? This is, this is like the championship Lakers. I was like, you know, I'm going to get there at 3 o'clock, and I want to make sure I make 400 made shots before I go back Jesus. into the room, and then I sit in the sauna, and I get ready for the game. So, you know, get in the car, get to the gym, get there. And as I'm walking onto the court, who do I see? I see Kobe Bryant already working out and right? I'm like okay it's kind of cool it's Kobe what's up Kobe you know and uh you know so I put my sneakers on and do you ever get lost in what you do where you end up like wait it's been an hour and a half like I, I'm just I'm, I'm here I'm in it so once I set my foot across that line I started working out mm. and so I worked out for a good hour hour and a half and when I came off after I was done I sat down and of course I still hear the ball bouncing I look down I'm like this guy's this guy's still working out He was working out for like, it looks like he was in a dead sweat when I got here and he's still going. And it's not like his moves are nonchalant (laughs) or or lazy. He's doing like game moves, you know, Um, I sit there and I unlace my shoes. I'm like, I want to see how long this goes. I sit out there and watch 25 minutes and they got done. I was like, okay, I think I've seen enough. Go play, you know, come back, get in the sauna, get ready for the game. That game, he drops 40 on us. Okay. And after the game is over, I'm like, I, I have to ask this guy. Like, I, I have to understand, like, why, why he works like that. Right. So after the game is over, I'm like, hey, Kobe, like, why, why were you in the gym for so long? He's like, because I saw you come in, <laughs> and, I, and I wanted you to know that it doesn't matter how hard you work, that I'm willing to work harder than you. Wow. And he's like, it's don't hold. There's there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I'm not saying I right. dislike you as a person. You just you inspire me to be better. Right. And it was the first time I started to see this level of competitiveness where I said, I need to start doing more.
8: You know, I, I look back at my journey, and I never knew what I was doing, to be honest with you, ever. I mean, still to this day, I'm like still trying to figure out what that next thing is and kind of listening to that voice. And to be honest with you, it's always been this innate ability to, to know that something is speaking to me Uh, And I think we all have it. I just really go to what is feeling most aligned or like what gives you the most life, what gives you the most vitality, what gives you the most energy. So for me, that's kind of what I followed. It was like when, in the beginning it was, when do I not feel bad? Like how can I just feel a little bit better than this? And that's what has always brought me back to moving is moving has always brought me clarity. Um, It's always helped me know what that voice is saying. Even in my marriage now, Chris and I will constantly if there's something coming up, if there's something we can't work through, if there's something in our business, we say let's take it on a walk because that's when we can kind of slow down, listen to that voice, what's next? So I think there's always that thing that we know can come through and we either choose to drown it out or we can do the things that we know kind of make it louder. Mm. You realize along the way or once you've won something or once you've made a lot of money, it's like if you don't enjoy the journey, that moment is so fleeting, it's, it's gone in a second and if you don't have the inner mindset of loving yourself, of loving who you are, of loving what you do, of, of wanting to make an impact, of wanting to help others, of wanting to um, improve someone else's life, like that, it, it's honestly the most empty feeling if you think that's the only thing. And I remember I had this moment. I had um, worked so incredibly hard. It had been like six years of competing. Some people... Some people compete and win right away, and they get these covers, and you know, that's just what I thought would happen, and six years later, I'm still like not winning, not getting covers, not, nobody's noticing me. And finally, um, actually that year, something shifted for me. That, uh, the year that I won, like, swept everything. And what happened is, the year prior to that, I had started training other people, go figure, training them for stage, really training them a lot in my studio, um, really wanting other people to win like making their wins my win. And what happened is their journey became so much mine and I became so just immersed in making someone else's life better that that next year, it was like I I was so fulfilled and happy and that just radiated. I knew that my purpose wasn't just um, the body. I knew that my purpose was so much bigger than this one thing that all of a sudden I showed up on stage as a totally different person. Literally, people were like, who are you? What happened? And I had this moment of, I, I let go of thinking this was everything. And I actually learned that the journey is about helping other people. It's about, you know, really loving what you do and who you are, but loving the fact that you get to do what you love for other people. And that just, it flipped, it literally flipped on a dime for me. And that, that was a moment of, wow, it, It's never about the titles. Those things are amazing. Don't get me wrong. I love them. I'm not going to lie. But if you don't do both, if you don't use them or use them as a platform for something, they're going to be really empty because they're just a moment.
4: And as a statement in my work, I say it's what you create creates you. And when I was 15, I'd actually pretty much checked out. Like at 14, 15, I was like, I suck at football. My mom got diagnosed with MS before I lost her, you know, 17 years later. My older brother went to the military and I chalked it up and I was done. And I remember this girl in, in Mr. Howe's English class made this statement and the statement was, was simple, but to me it was powerful. She said, well, the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care. And it wasn't anything more than her saying an excuse out loud that I had been saying inside and I just heard like, that sounds stupid. Like That's gonna be the excuse because I had no control of the situation, but that directs my life to be a criminal, to be checked out. And so I had this desire, like I'm just gonna do what great people do, and it was players, right? Great athletes who wanna be a football player. So this is where this chip started coming and getting built. I spent like every single day, like I sat in my back to a football in the year 500 times. I ran every route I could, I lifted every weight I could. No idea what I was doing. But every day I got to this point where like I stacked and stacked and stacked to where like, when I showed up the next year, Tom, you couldn't take this from me. Like, you're not gonna catch this ball. This is my ball to catch. You're not gonna catch it, I'm gonna knock it down. You're not gonna tackle me, you don't deserve this today. I'm gonna tackle you, because you, you don't get the right to run away from me. And it was just this, the sense of like, I earned this, I own this, you don't get to take this from me. And that's where that darkness kind of peaked, peaked in, but I, you can't have that until you do that dark work. And I think people wanna get there and be like, oh, I did a couple things, like, no, no, no. Like. It ain't about a couple of things. It's about this deeply seated, rooted sense of you where you do not have the right to take this future from me. And so that became this driver for me of every day. Like I wasn't at twenty-five when I was you know, in the NFL, I wasn't playing because of the day before, I was playing because of 10 years earlier. Like, you no, know, I did this work, bro. You don't get to make this tackle on me. You know, you don't get to get you know like you don't get to block me today. And that's this 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 compounding effect over time that just built this. I have that still. Like people think, like, oh, he's happy, and I'm a happy guy. Don't get it twisted, though, man. When it comes <laughs> to work, there's like that switch that has to flip on. But that's where it does come from. That dark. You have to pull from the things that motivate you. It's not always a joyous spot for me. Sometimes it's looking at my kids and realizing, like, man, I could have it way worse. Or looking at like my past and saying, you know, what, I, and this is truth for me at this age of my life, I'm very aware that I I want to be desired. I want to be wanted. But the thing is, it's because of a childhood thing. My mom didn't want me like, you know, my mom didn't care for me. And so because of that, when I show up now, it's like I do these things, but I'm doing them because I'm serving people to get the thank yous that make me feel desired. So it's a weird, I call it a weird sense of selfishness. Like, I selfishly want your thank you. I want you to say I appreciate you and thank you, but I only get that when I show up big and heavy to serve you, and that serve it not always from joy, man. Sometimes it's from like, I don't want to get off this planet and, and have a drip drop left in me. Think back to my college days when I was actually preparing to run 40s for the NFL, and the thing that I used to think of was like at the other end of the 40, somebody's attacking my, my son, at the son at the time. So the, this, what you're talking about literally was like a driving force for me of like why I need to go as fast as humanly possible. It's another level of emotion. Like you said, it has a purpose and it can be used if you're comfortable using it. But most people, they, they run away from it so frequently. It's like they just seek the, 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 the joy. And I hate that because at the same time as you're seeking that joy, like you don't realize that most of the people who are successful are telling you it's, it's in the moments outside the joy but people are so afraid to get it and they keep asking, how come I'm not successful? How come I'm not successful? You're not listening. Like, you're just not listening. and You're not applying. And so I don't feel sorry for you at a certain point. Like, I need people, when I talk to them, to, like, I'm trying to make you uncomfortable. I literally tell people, like, my clients, I'm like, I'm trying to stretch you.
6: I think what's crucial for me was the, the deep understanding. All my practice, all my talent, all my physicality, is not going to be enough. All my thinking, all my emotional control, all my strategy is not going to be enough. All my surrender, all my capacity to accept death is not going to be enough if they come in separate. I think we have to be in order for us to grow as a spiritual warriors, no matter if it's physical or just theoretical, your growth uh, to facilitate your life, to conquer things, to be happy. You have to have a good unified body in terms of body, mind, spirit. Mm -hmm. You have to understand your physicality. You have to understand your mind. You have to understand your spirituality because those three things combined make you feel powerful. How I could engage in a fight, a serious fight like that, with no time limits, no weight division, no, no rules basically, no mount piece, no, no cups, no. So you basically go for a unpredictable situation. How I could go just by be trained with a guy 60, 70 pounds heavier than me. So just being prepared, just being talented is not enough. Mm. Just be able to focus and be strategically correct is not enough. I have to have the spirituality to say, Today is a great day to be in a battle. If I have to, part, to depart today from another, from a different, uh, different dimension, I will be grateful to get here that far. So I was accepting death in order to be comfortable in hell. Because how a fireman can leave home disregarding the possibility he can be the last day mm. because he can be and try to save a kid in a building and, and die how a police officer can leave home without knowing the possibilities he may have to get shot. If you don't realistically believe on those possibilities, you should not be a police officer. You should not be a fireman. You should not be a fighter like myself in that kind of perspective of unpredictability. Being an athlete, being a sport like a judo or MMA, which has rules, has time limits, has weight divisions. Those are pretty much predictable. It's a a sport, it's a very interesting, a very brutal, a very contact, a very aggressive sport, but it's still a sport. Martial arts transcends that. Because martial arts, I have to feed my students with unpredictable situations for them to start to realize they have a chance when everything is go dark, when everything goes like if I have a knife against you, so I don't know what you do. So pay attention, calm, just put your hand here. So I start to build up confidence. I start to build up situations where the guy will feel I supposed be dead here, but I have a chance. I, so building that windows of opportunity, windows of chances, I've been creating myself as a confident in possibilities. So I'm not go there to lose or to compete. I go there to, to preach or to do what I know and be sure I'm going to win. So in my mind was no defeat, was no, was just victory. And that's it because I believe what I do is perfect.